Blog Talk Radio. Let me tell you about something new. A new show called G's Power. G's Power. Real talk for real saints. Are you ready? And it's for real. Welcome to G's Power Hour live every weekday at 11.30 a.m. on Never Had It So Good Entertainment Network. Your host, G, will bring you informative and entertaining guests and a variety of topics in a way that you can absorb and enjoy. Listen in weekdays and call in at 516-387-1944. We love interaction. All shows can be downloaded if you miss one or found on iTunes the next day. G's Power Hour is powered by Never Had It So Good Sports Media Network. Well, good morning, brothers and sisters, kings and queens, angels and saints, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. I am your host, G. Thanks so much for being with us today. Well, 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 are you well? That's what we are going to talk about. It is the time that we talk with wellness. And Dr. Taiwan Tillman, is our cardiologist, is going to be on today to talk about a few things. Um, we are not taking questions live today, unfortunately. But if you do have uh, questions or comments that you want to submit, please go to the G's Power Hour Facebook page and, and you know, let me know what it is that you'd want to have Dr. Tillman discuss or something we can look up for you. We'd be more than happy to do that. But anyway, um, we are going to talk a little bit about strokes today. Yes, it is not National Stroke Awareness Month, but, um, you know, there doesn't need to be a particular month designated to talk about these particular issues because we need to be doing uh, things on a regular basis in order to make sure that we don't get caught up in, in, you know, last minute, oh, my gosh, I'm having a stroke. What should I do? But there are things to look out for. We're going to talk about that. Uh, There are preventative measures. We're going to talk about that. So uh, just, you know, listen in. And like I said, if there are questions or whatever, you know, just hit me up and then we'll we'll get to them for the next uh, show where Dr. Tillman is on. Um, I wanted, before we get to him, because he's he's running a little late, before we get to Dr. Tillman, I wanted to ask you, Monday, and I wasn't able to do a show, uh, but Monday it was, World Kindness Day, which I had not heard about. And it got me to thinking, what is kindness? What does kindness mean to, you know, everybody? And uh, is is it an antiquated, uh, I guess, type of uh, behavior, I guess? Because every the reason I bring that up, it just seems like everybody is on pins and needles. Everybody is agitated. Everybody is you know, caught up in something, and I think that a little bit of kindness, just a little bit, tends to go a long way. It tends to kind of disperse some tension. It tends to kind of make you, you know, if someone's kind of you, then it makes you, even if you're not able to reciprocate at the time, you know, it makes you kind of want to be kind to someone else during the day. So, just wanted to bring it out because I, I hate that we didn't get a chance to discuss it. I think it's very important. I think it does kind of soothe our temperaments a little bit and maybe be able to, to handle the stresses of the day if we are kind and someone else is kind to us as, as well. So anyway, 
Um, wanted to talk about wanted like I said, I just wanted to bring that up because tis the season. I just just uh, unfortunately, I just don't think there should be a season to be kind. Okay, and maybe I'll talk to Dr. Tillman about that uh, because you know maybe that will help us. Reduce, you know, I think stress has a lot to do with you know the stroke issue among other things, and I think. You know, if we're a little bit more kind and people are kind to us, that kind of reduces some of the tension that may lead to some of these issues like stroke. So what are your thoughts? Like I said, we're not taking questions today, but we are, I'm going to check and see if Dr. Tillman is available, and uh, we're going to go from there. Uh, also, one of the things I wanted to talk about on this show, and I was going to bring it to Dr. Tillman's attention, is um, – so, because for various reasons, I've I've pretty much, for the most part, cut out alcohol out of my diet. Now, this is the time between all of the games that are going on and, and celebrations that are going on with holiday parties and whatnot. Uh, the consumption of alcohol seems to be, you know, more, it happens more and more around this time. Uh, and so... What I have done was to go into places like Total Wine and look and see. They actually have uh, alcohol-free or non-alcoholic section where they sell various non-alcoholic beer, but there's also a variety of non-alcoholic wines and also non-alcohol or alcohol-free I guess variations, like I found a coconut rum, I found a coffee liqueur. Um, and so I guess my question, my thing is, uh, and you know, there's good and bad parts. Yay, there's a section for these types of drinks so that you kind of don't necessarily have to feel totally excluded in, in the celebrations, but at the same time, uh, what are they substituting? What are they doing to try to make these drinks taste like the originals and, and do they taste like the originals and so you know basically what's the trade-off i mean are you just basically better off going you know totally non-alcoholic with something else something different or do you want are you all okay going with these substitutions and as i found more of these sections in places like total wine i actually also found more of these things in um walmart uh, as I was looking around, I was like, hmm, this is growing a little bit. You know, the, the non-alcoholic beer is there. The, the non-alcoholic uh, wine and champagne seem to be there. And then the sparkling uh, non-alcoholic drinks. So I'm glad that there are options. I just, I really want us to try to look more into and to see, you know, if these are, you know, better, actually better or if there's some sort of trade-off we need to look into. So in the meantime, we're going to take a break. And like I said, there, don't don't try to call in the day, but please leave me a message on the G's Power Hour Facebook page if you have something you want to address. G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. We'll be right back. Over the past 60 years, Dove Beauty Bar's superior formula has remained unchanged. But when it comes to beauty, everything changed. Together, we redefined beauty. We said no to stereotypes and yes to every type. We let go of judgments and embraced what makes us unique. We're proud to have been there with you, caring for you every step of the way. Here's to the next 60 years. 
This is Douglas Dobbs of Dobbs Cremation and Funeral Service. We have served the Central Florida community for 29 years with quality funeral and cremation services. Honoring all religions and faith, we have been here for many grieving families. Whether it's a complete funeral service with a burial or a simple dignified cremation, Dobbs Cremation and Funeral Service is here for you. Located at 430 North Kirkman Road at the 408 Expressway, Dobbs Cremation and Funeral Service, 407-578-7720. Dobbs, dedicated to serving our families. Good morning. Welcome back to G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. I am your host, G. Thanks so much for being with us today. Dr. Tillman, welcome back. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing wonderful. How are you today? I'm doing quite well, quite well. Always a blessing to have you back with us. So, what's going on, Dr. Tillman? The doctor is in. You can't ask questions today, but you can send them on the G's Power, our Facebook page, and we'll try to get to them the next time he's on, just to let you know. But, Dr. Tillman, you wanted to address the issue of stroke. And I wanted to find out why the I guess it was this was pressing for you. Well, I think it's for one, um, it's one of the things that we touched on very superficially. I think probably the first um audio cast that we did we discussed cardiovascular disease as a whole, but not stroke mm-hmm. specifically. And in addition to that, um it has a very prominent effect, outsized effect on the African-American community, and also because it's the number two killer, not only of African-Americans, but worldwide. And so it's, it's, it's a very important thing that we should discuss. It doesn't get a lot of discussion. It doesn't get a lot of the limelight. When you think about the different illnesses or things that cause can cause death that you see publicized, probably breast cancer gets the most, and that's way down the list, and then heart attacks get a lot of publicity, and obviously that's on the very top. But stroke being right behind heart attack, don't hear a lot of discussion about stroke as it doesn't get it doesn't get as much respect as it deserves for being such a prominent disease and uh, such a prominent cause not only of death but also of permanent disability. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess what I want to get clarified, do you, stroke and heart attack are usually linked up. Why is that, and what is the distinctiveness between the stroke and the heart attack? Well, I think some people use the terms interchangeably, and they are not at all related. Um, okay. But let me let me try and explain. They, they are very similar. It's basically the same condition affecting two different organs. Um, Let's talk about the things that are similar about heart attack and stroke. Number one, the risk factors are the same. So when we talk about cardiovascular disease, you may hear at times that cardiovascular disease is the number one killer in the world. And you can break cardiovascular disease down into two largest problems, number one being heart attack, number two being stroke. They're both underlying um, causes of cardiovascular death. And so what is a heart attack versus what is a stroke? When you talk about either a heart attack or a stroke, what is happening is you're getting interruption of blood flow to an organ. And they're both organs that require a lot of oxygen, a lot of blood flow to function. And when those organs and individually those muscles, those uh, cells either in the brain or in the heart are starved for oxygen, they start to die. And a heart attack is 
death of heart muscle from lack of blood flow, and a stroke is death of brain cells from lack of blood flow. So they're similar in their pathophysiology, or in other words, what causes them, and they're similar in that the actual stroke or heart attack is due to death of cells in that particular organ, but they're different in that they are different organs. So they're not interchangeable, but the same underlying process where lack of blood flow causes death to parts of that to cells in that particular organ makes them very similar. And they're both types of cardiovascular disease. Does that make sense? Yes, I and I'm glad you clarified that. I really am. Um, because like you like you said, I think a lot of people just kinda lump them in together. Um right. and uh, you know, I, I and I think at the time that they are occurring, either with the, you as the victim or uh, you as the loved one of the, of the victim, the explanation in terms of what has happened gets very rushed. Um, right. it, the explanation doesn't necessarily go in depth, um, you know, and, and so a layman trying to understand exactly what's going on, you know, a, a person right. who's a professional understands it a lot clear a lot more clearly than the lay right. person. So. And I should also mention that they also have the same risk factors. So when you talk right. about um, you know before you talked about modifiable risk factors and non-modifiable risk factors, modifiable risk factors are heart attack and stroke are under the umbrella of the risk factors of cardiovascular disease. So you're talking hypertension, uh high cholesterol, diabetes, obesity, sedentary lifestyle, all those things. Um, so you can group together stroke and heart attack under cardiovascular disease when you're looking at risk factors. Um, and also the non-modified risk factors are the things that you're born with. So, you know, people that have a family history of certain things, genetic, a genetic history, those are things that you can't modify. You can't modify your genetic history. Other things you can't modify is your um, gender, um, your age, your race, et cetera. So those are things that you're born with that may increase your risk for heart attack and stroke and cardiovascular disease as a whole, just because you may have um, certain things in your family that run in your family or, you know, that, you know, you can't change. And so you want to focus on the modifiable ones that you can fix and reduce your risk by maximizing your benefit from those. But the other things, you know, you're born with, you live with. So why okay. don't we um, – oh, do you have a question about that? No, no. Oh, you know, okay. I got so many questions, but no, go ahead, please. Before I get, okay. get, because you know, when I start talking, we get off track. So go ahead. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, let's talk about specifically some of the statistics. When we, when I mentioned earlier that it's very prominent, it's a, a very prominent disease or pro, disease process in African American community. African Americans are 50 percent more likely to have a stroke than Caucasians. Um, African-American men are 70% more likely to actually die of a stroke as compared to Caucasian men. And the women don't get a free pass either because African-American women are twice as likely to have a stroke as compared to Caucasian women. And so I ask you, what do you think underlying the increased risk of stroke which sort of mirrors heart attack in the African-American community? What are some of the factors you think may be underlying? I, I honestly I, I, I honestly think just by what I see and then also what my challenges have been lately, and I, I didn't start off as a big person, but now I'm considered obese, you know, mm-hmm. and it, I'm, it still is, is a foreign concept to me in my brain. So just trying to get, you know, past 
the fact that, you know, I'm not the 95-pound girl that went to college, okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and I'm not the person that could eat almost everything and not gain, you know. It's just, mm-hmm. it's, um, it's really just a, a different mindset. Um, and so now I'm, I'm fighting in something that it doesn't seem like I'm able to win against. Um, and I don't know, like you said, how much of that is genetic, how much of that is, is controllable for me, you know. So, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I did start last year seeing a um, cardiologist uh, because I was at the age where my mom had her first heart attack. Mm-hmm. So I, it was important for me to say, okay, where do I stand in terms of of that much in terms of my, my health, in terms of, you know, is my heart okay? You know, is, you know, what's going on? Um, but I say obesity just because okay. I see so many of my sisters that, you know, they, they are obese, right. you know, I mean, I, right. you know, I, I know where I am on the scale I know where I am in terms of things fitting on me in terms of my clothes. And I look at other women and I'm like, that, that look bigger than I am. And I'm mm-hmm. like, Oh my God, you know, what are we doing? So, so am I wrong? Is, no, you're not wrong. Um, now I don't know what comes first, the chicken or the egg, but a lot of times it's obesity. So obesity obviously is a, problem in that in- increases the likelihood of having all the other risk factors associated with cardiovascular disease. So obesity increases the risk of hypertension, it increases the risk of diabetes, increases the risk of um, high cholesterol, increases the risk of having a sedentary lifestyle. So you start to get into this thing where, you know, one thing begets another. And so if you have obesity, then that does increase your risk of all these risks, having these risk factors, which then in turn increases your risk of having a stroke or heart attack or whatever the bad cardiovascular outcome is. And so we know that um, in the African-American community, obesity is more prevalent. We know hypertension is more prevalent. And uh, we know that high cholesterol and diabetes are more prevalent. And so is that genetic? Is that um, cultural? Is it lifestyle? You know, what is it? And it's probably a little bit of all of the above. One thing that is relevant is only the African-American community as an individual, but on a bit of a, bit of a larger scale, look at the Southeast. And so there's what we call the stroke belt. The stroke belt basically runs through the Southeast. So you're mm-hmm. talking Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, North Carolina, South Carolina. Florida, surprisingly, is not in a stroke belt, probably because there are so many transplants that move to Florida. But I'll bet mm-hmm. you if you take out if you take out North Florida, Jacksonville Panhandle area, I'll guarantee you it right. fits right in with mm-hmm. <laughs> fits right in with Georgia and Alabama and those other places that they're right next to. Yeah, so not um, doubt, doubting that at all. <laughs> <laughs> and so I know that, what I see. <laughs> right, right. And a part of that gets to the fact that you know, there's a culture there. There is a type of food there. There is a type of lifestyle. Um, obesity is more prevalent in that same area. Um, diabetes mm-hmm. is more prevalent in that same area. And so you start mm-hmm. to look at, you know, some of this stuff is genetic, but so much of it has to do with lifestyle and culture and habits, things that we would call modifiable risk factors. And so 
when you hear, um, you know, someone talking about stroke and heart attack and they're saying a certain percentage of those episodes or events are preventable, they're saying they're preventable because a lot of them are caused by modifiable risk factors that people aren't modifying. Also, another thing, smoking is more prevalent in that same area. And so if you start to, if you make a map and you start to overlap these different things, these risk factors and obesity and and uh, hypertension and diabetes, and then you put a stroke map on top of it, what you'll see is that hot areas for all those risk factors are also the hot areas for stroke. And a lot of those hot mm-hmm. areas run straight through the stroke belt because of lifestyle yeah. and habits. And see, like you, you talked about, for example, um, transplants and stuff. The thing about here in Florida, especially, uh, like you said, maybe mid-Florida on down, is that the transplants, not necessarily African-American, but there are people like African-Americans or or have a certain culture or way of, let's say, celebrating life, what I call it, okay? Mm -hmm. The food is not necessarily good. The food is maybe Mm -hmm. very rice-heavy or Mm carb-heavy or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's very saucy. It's flavorful. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I mean, and we pass this down from generation to generation. So, you know, the transplants that we get are, we have a lot, a lot of people that are Haitian. We have a lot of people who mm-hmm. are Hispanic. And then, mm-hmm. so as a result, you know, you get a lot of that. I went to, <laughs> uh, I, you know, I wasn't, you know, filling up to cooking, wasn't really filling up to doing mm-hmm. much of anything. And, you know, my, my husband asked me, well, what do you want to eat? And I was like, ah. it's, it's a hard decision when, you know, you're not, <laughs> managing the meal you know right. but you want to right. you know you want to get something and so we went to the caribbean restaurant and mm-hmm. you know he's like you know he's like he mentioned what i wanted because and i get it rarely i don't do it as much anymore but he mentioned oxtails okay mm-hmm. now i uh, personally would have liked to see more oxtail but we all know that doesn't happen Okay, you get more of the rice or more of the rice and peas than anything else to mm-hmm. the point where I think I ate off the rice and peas for two more days after the initial oxtails and, and vegetables, which were cabbage and everything, was all gone. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so, you know, I'm mixing the rice and peas with, you know, something else one day and the rice and peas with something else on another day. You know, because I'm trying to split it up. You know, I didn't sit there and eat the whole thing all day. But, I mean, so it, it it's not necessarily, I mean, I think, I don't know how you, I don't know, I, I don't know. How do you do a workaround? How do you get around, you know, trying to, and you want to incorporate some of that. You want to enjoy that, but at the same time, it might kill you. You know, I would have rather have more of the oxtail, just not only because I like oxtail, because maybe more protein. If I'm trying to, mm-hmm. I guess, um, I, I guess if I'm trying to reconcile, you know, the bad behavior, you know, well, I would you, like to see ask, more oxtail. Right. Well, you ask important questions. How do you how do you change? And what you're asking, well, it's one. You know, how does an individual change? But on a larger scale. Um, how do you change culture? And that's very difficult. You're talking about changing, you know, you talk about changing culture. You know, there's a a company that goes through 
a big scandal where there's a bunch of um, sexual harassment or something like that, and you find out it was you know pervasive throughout the company, and then the question becomes, how do you change the culture of the company? In other words, you have all these people that have been working somewhere, behaving a certain way for 10, 15 years, and it's very difficult to turn that around because it's ingrained in every individual that works there unless you fire everybody and start over. And so – and the same thing with some teams that lose forever and ever and ever because, you know, from the top down, the culture is bad. And so mm-hmm. you're talking about individuals in that situation where maybe 20, 30, 40, 100 people. And I'm talking about changing the culture of an entire region of the country. How do you change the culture in the stroke belt so that you reduce the risk of stroke? And that's mm-hmm. very difficult to do because you're asking people to change their daily lifestyles. You're asking people to change like what you said that's been passed down from generation to generation, and it's just very difficult to do. But the start is sort of what we're doing today is education so that people at least know they're doing and that their daily lifestyle is not healthy for them. And then once they at least know, they can start. you can then start educating them about what the possible changes are, changes are that they can make. But then you have to realize, you know, these people, um, they're seeing, they look, they look like left, they look right, they look at their family when they have vacations and, and holidays, and mm-hmm. they know exactly. that there's always, they're being touched by this year after year after year. Everybody knows somebody that's had a stroke. Everybody knows somebody that's had a heart attack. So it's not like they're oblivious to the effects of these um, serious medical problems. It's just that sometimes they don't know that they need to make changes or they don't, they think it's too difficult or, you know, they know and they're just avoiding just because there's nobody giving them the encouragement to do so. And I think um, education, education is the start to where you start to have people make changes and how do you get a whole region of the country to change? Little by little. Mm-hmm. It's, it's little by little. It's not going to happen overnight. But it certainly can happen. It certainly can happen. Well, I will tell you one of the things that makes it kind of difficult. You have a, a whole group of people. Let's, let's talk about the African-American community where my mother lived until almost 91. I have a great aunt that lived to about 110. Most of the people in my family lived very, especially on my mom's side of the family, lived very long lives. But my mom was forever talking about, you know, the next time you pass by Popeye's, you know, can you pick me up? And, and half the time I wasn't even passing by Popeye's. But then she'd get the pouty face, and I'm like, well, I guess I'd better go to Popeye's. You know, so, <laughs> you know, so but you understand what I'm saying. We have a culture where we have uh, people who have lived very long lives uh, mm-hmm. and not – cut out the bad food and mm-hmm. not exercised. And it's like, mm-hmm. okay, well, if they lived that long and they weren't exercising and they weren't changed, modifying eating habits, why am I spending five days a week at the gym with no results? What is, <laughs> and why am I eating salads? You know, and I like salad. Don't get me wrong, but why am I eating all this doggone salad? So we talk <laughs> so about we we're going to get um, we're, we're we're going to get back to that. We're going to take a quick break, okay? Okay. <laughs> we're here with Dr. Taiwan Tillman. We're talking about the the you know we're talking about strokes and we're talking about I guess the mental uh, 
I guess, approach to modifying behavior and and looking at, you know, our condition in terms of, you know, our genetics and our lifestyle and how we can do better in terms of, of prevention. This is G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment, and we will be right back. This is Douglas Dobbs, owner and funeral director at Dobbs Cremation and Funeral Service. We have served the Central Florida community with two generations of family funeral service. With the recent addition of my son Brandon, we are here to take care of the needs of Central and West Orlando. From simple cremation to a full burial, Dobbs Cremation and Funeral Service is here to help you. Located at 430 North Kirkman Road at the 408 Expressway, Dobbs Cremation and Funeral Service, 407-578-7720, Dobbs dedicated to serving our families. Having a wedding, reception, family reunion, planning a banquet, or some other fundraising event. Need to share your knowledge through a workshop or seminar, or it's a difficult time and you need to plan a wake or repast. Let us help. At our gatherings, let us reduce the stress and make the occasion memorable, treasured. Call our gatherings at 407-968-9387 or email ourgatherings at yahoo.com. Let us help plan your special event. Good afternoon. Welcome back to G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. I am your host, G. Thanks so much for being with us today. We are here with cardiologist Dr. Taiwan Tillman. We're talking about strokes and, you know, what causes them, what can prevent them, and, you know, what you can and can't do uh, to make sure you aren't in the um, number that uh, ends up getting one. So uh, we are not taking questions today because we are not live, but please, please, if you have any questions or comments that we can address maybe the next show, uh, go to the G's Power Hour Facebook page and, and send me a message. So as I was asking Dr. Tillman, you know, it's it's kind of hard to modify behavior when you see uh, people uh, living for long years without consequences due to their own bad behavior. <laughs> so we talked about genetics. So genetics yes. don't always have negative effects. Sometimes genetics have very positive effects. There are people that eat what they want, drink what they want, smoke what they want, and they live to be 100 years old. That is not the norm, but there are people, if you if you had a grandmother that lived to 100, a mother that lived to 100, and an aunt that lived to 100, chances are you're going to live a long time. Regardless of what you do right or what you do wrong, chances are you're going to live a long time. If you're a man and every male and your family has died by the age of 45 from a heart attack, guess what? You're probably going to have a heart attack at a relatively young age. There are things you can do to help, and you may push it to 50 or 60, um, but you're probably going to have a heart attack if everybody in your family has had one by the age of 40, and that's a genetic thing. Um, And so it works both ways. There are genetics that allow you to, you know, live a lifestyle that's much less healthy and get away with it, and genetics that allow you to live or where you can live a very, very healthy lifestyle. You can be a vegetarian, exercise every day. You may still have a heart attack by the time you're 50 if your genetics are that prone to heart disease. And so a big part of it is what we mentioned earlier, the unmodifiable risk factors, the things that you're born with. But there's still a strong role that the modifiable risk factors can play, and that's why that's what, we're, what we concentrate on because that's the only thing we can change. Is there research being done for genetics? 
genetic modification? Of course there is, but we're not there yet. And so the focus is on the modifiable risk factors and fixing the things that you can to improve your overall health and reduce the risk of bad cardiovascular outcomes such as stroke. And, you know, when we talk about stroke, heart attacks can cause death and heart failure and so forth. Well, stroke can cause death, but stroke, what most people are worried about is having the long-term consequence than disability due to stroke, which may mean that you have to have a caretaker for the rest of your life because you can't walk or because you can't speak or because you can't eat. And in those situations, that's a problem that may never get better the rest of your life. You may have a stroke at 50 and be dependent on caretakers for the rest of your life, and you may live a completely normal lifespan of 80, 85 years old. So that means 30, 35 years old of chronic disability and not being able to do things for yourself. So the long-term consequences of stroke as far as having a chronic disability, the cost of that to, the, to your family, to um, the United States uh, healthcare system as a whole is significant, it's very significant. And so um, that's why I think stroke is such an important topic that we need to do, discuss more and bring more to the forefront. I understand exactly what you're saying because I, you know, I hear people saying, oh, I, you know, I want to live to 100. I'm like, uh-uh, I don't want to live to 100 if, you know, I'm sitting up in, in a wheelchair, I can't go to the beach, you know, I don't want to right. live if to 100. Right, it's not quality of life. You want quality of life in addition I to I want quality right? of life. I, I really do. I mean, if I don't have it, then I'm gone. And I, I feel like I, I almost, <laughs> almost sometimes feel like I don't necessarily want to speak about my health or what I want, because I feel like every time I say something, I get kind of slapped <laughs> in the face. For exa- and the reason I say that, for example, I always like, I watched my mother be on blood pressure pills since I was a very young age. And I was mm-hmm. like, I'm not going to, I'm like, I'm not going to be on blood pressure pills. I don't want to be on blood pressure pills. Well, guess what? I'm on blood pressure pills. And unfortunately, part of it is because of something that I can't control, which is my thyroid. Mm-hmm. Um, and so because I'm hyper, you know, I have hyperthyroidism with Graves, um, mm-hmm. I have to take thyroid medication and I have to take, uh, I guess what they say, a low grade dose of blood pressure medication, which someone told me wasn't really blood pressure medication. But anyway, um, in order to control things like, you know, palpitations every now and then, right, something like right. that. So I'm like, okay. This is not my fault. I didn't do this, you know. <laughs> but it, there it is. So it's your genetic. Fortunately, I'm sorry. That's the genetic, it's in right? Your genetic. Okay. Yeah. Which I did not know because I'm, I know it wasn't on my mom's side, but I'm tending, I'm finding out now that there I have cousins on my father's side. Uh, one of my first cousins, she was the first one I knew. She had her thyroid removed when she was about 12, and mm-hmm. then. It turns out, uh, I think one of her sisters is dealing with thyroid issue. Um, two, mm-hmm. her both of her sons have dealt with, you know, like nodules or something like that. So, right. But anyway, like like I said, you know, anytime I talk, we get off track. Um, but <laughs> I'm trying to do the other preventative type things, like like I said, like go to the gym, like trying mm-hmm. to modify some of my. Uh, uh, you know, eating behavior, 
which takes mm-hmm. time. I mean, and I, I'm, I almost want to kick myself because when I was younger, you know, I wasn't necessarily eating badly per se. You know, I, I ate what I was fed by my parents, but, you know, I was also doing things like snacking on grapes when I was co- in college at the early mm-hmm. part, and then I, con- I transitioned into French fries and M&M's. Um, <laughs> and Rocky Road milkshakes. Um, but I was still at the point where it wasn't affecting me. And my mom just said, wait till you get 30. Um, All right. <laughs> so that brings me to another question. Does age have something to do with how certain things affect us or m- make us more prone to some of these conditions? Of course it does. Um, any of any of the risk factors that I've talked about and cardiovascular disease as a whole and heart attack and stroke, if you graph that um, prevalence versus age, as you get older, all of those increase, obviously. Older people at higher risk of heart attack, higher risk of stroke, higher risk of diabetes, higher risk of hypertension. As you get older, things start to fall apart, right? And so and of course obesity. You know, most people as they get older they gain weight. There's a select few that don't, but on Average, most people do, and that's why it's very important. You think two, you gain two pounds a year, two pounds this year, three pounds last year, you know, five pounds next year. It's not a lot. You know, that means in three years you gain around 10 pounds. Well, guess what? You gain five pounds a year for 10 years, it's 50 pounds. And so consistent weight gain like that, even though it's subtle and gradual, ends up being a significant problem. And and the problem with that is you've maintained a lifestyle that's caused you to steadily gain weight. And your body has this set point where it's used to being at that weight. And that's very difficult to reverse as opposed to someone that say someone is at a decent weight and they have an injury or a lifestyle change, death of a spouse or something, and they gain 20 pounds or 30 pounds in a short period of time. It's easy to change that lifestyle back to where you were before because that's an aberration as compared to your norm. But somebody that slowly gained five pounds a year over 10, 12, 15 years, that ship is really difficult to turn around because it's been a consistent lifestyle that they've lived for a long time. It's hard to turn that around and turn it into something else that's going to lead to consistent weight loss. And that's one of the reasons that weight loss is so difficult. So once your body gets used to being at a certain weight, it likes to try to stay there. And so when you start trying to do things to combat that, you start trying to do things to lose weight, your body starts revolt and says, no, I want to stay at this weight. And that's why you sort of hit these plateaus during weight loss as well, or you hit these plateaus or even walls sometimes because your body's revolting because it wants to stay at a weight that it's at. However, let me be clear about this. You mentioned you know, you're in the gym and you're working out and people get frustrated because they're not seeing progress. Progress isn't always judged by what you see on the scale. Progress can be judged by feeling better. Progress can be judged by being more active and also by reducing your risk. So I don't know if you've heard the term, but there's a term that people call skinny fat. They're people that are genetically thin that are very inactive. Doesn't mean they're healthy. So someone that's overweight that exercises routinely very often is at lesser risk of a lot of the risk factors that we've talked about and at lesser risk of stroke and heart attack than someone that's skinny or thin but much less active and much less healthy. So weight isn't the end-all, be-all. 
and it should not be the factor that we always judge looking at progress from exercise and lifestyle changes. Sometimes you're healthier overall despite the fact of not losing a lot of weight. You're still healthier overall than someone who's very sedentary that lives a very unhealthy lifestyle even though they may be thinner. And I, I agree with you because, I, I, like I said, I was very thin, very skinny, but I didn't like to exercise. I really didn't. I mean, I, every now and then I would take the occasional um, uh, um, taekwondo class, you know, whatever, and three mm-hmm. times I started taekwondo and got, <laughs> didn't get very far. Um, but so the gym five, and I really don't like the gym. The one thing that keeps me in the gym is, is actually the pool. Um, but uh, I do know that it makes a difference. I think my stamina is different, and I think it's necessary right now because I am older. I think in some ways I am more fit than I was when I was younger because I wasn't really exercising on any type of regular basis. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I think it makes a difference in terms of recovery from illness, or right. being able to do certain activities a little longer. For example, I had to do a lot of walking last week. And, you know, I mean, I, I think that if had I not been uh, doing some sort of regular routine, if it's even if it's in the gym or even when I don't go to gym, if, you know, I try to do Zumba at home, just something. I, I think mm-hmm. that it makes a difference uh, doing something. I said I was going to get out in my garden more now that it's not so terribly hot. Um, and try to make that work. So, yeah. So why don't we touch base on um, some of the specifics of of stroke? And I, okay. I, a lot of times, a lot of questions, a lot of the questions I get about stroke sometimes are: you hear people talk about mini strokes or TIAs. Have you heard that term before? Yes, I have. Okay. So what a TIA or mini stroke is, is it's when someone has the symptoms of a stroke that go away completely, last less than 24 hours, the symptoms resolve, there's no residual symptoms. And if you look at that person's brain via an MRI scan, it shows that there's no damage, no significant damage to the brain. So it's a mini stroke in that the symptoms resolved because whatever caused it resolved. And so let's talk real, real quickly about the different types of strokes. So. Okay. We mentioned earlier that the most common type of stroke is what's called an ischemic stroke, meaning interruption of blood flow, interruption of oxygen, and brain tissue dies, and that's called an ischemic stroke, and that's 85% of strokes. That's usually caused by either a piece of plaque breaking off and lodging in a small vessel in the brain or a clot coming from, for example, inside the heart that then lodges in a small vessel in the brain. And the vessel that that uh, – or the, the brain tissue that that blood vessel goes to is the area that doesn't get enough blood flow, and then that is the area that starts to die. And depending on where that area is, that determines what the symptom may be. So sometimes if it's in the back of the brain, it can affect balance. Sometimes if it's on the side of the brain, it can affect the right arm. If it's on the other side of the brain, it may affect the other side of the body. Um, depending on where it is, it may affect your ability to speak. To speak. It may affect your ability to understand speech. Um, so just depending on the different part of the brain that gets the uh, damage, that determines what the symptom may be. And say somebody gets a little blood clot that goes into the brain and somebody um, gets a weak right arm and a weak left, a weakened right arm and a weakened right leg, and that clot dissolves in about 15 minutes, blood flow gets restored, 
everything goes back to normal, the weakness goes away, and that would be a TIA or a mini stroke. TIA stands for transient ischemic attack. Now, say that same person gets that same blood clot, but that blood clot doesn't dissolve. It stays there, and it blocks already off, and hours and hours and hours, it's still there, and that area is going to blood flow. That area of brain dies, and then that weakened right arm and weakened right leg becomes a permanent problem because the brain tissue that control that area is now dead. And so that's the difference between a TIA or mini-stroke and a full-blown stroke. The patient that had a full-blown stroke, they get an MRI, and you see the area of scar tissue on the brain where there was lack of blood flow. And so that's called an ischemic stroke. And that's about 80, 80 to 85% of strokes is that kind of stroke. The other type of stroke that is less common but occurs as well is called a hemorrhagic stroke, and that's the bleeding type of stroke. So that can be caused by an acute rupture of the blood vessel inside the brain that can sometimes be caused simply by blood pressure just being way too high. That can cause a blood vessel to rupture, bleeding in the brain, then causes a stroke. Um, ischemic strokes that we talked about just a few seconds ago, that can sometimes, if it's a really big stroke, can actually bleed into itself and convert into a hemorrhagic stroke. So you can actually have both an ischemic stroke and a hemorrhagic stroke. And sometimes patients that are on blood thinners can also have uh, hemorrhagic strokes if they have a predisposition to weaken blood vessels and so forth. And so when you hear about people having aneurysms in their brain that rupture and so forth, that is a type of hemorrhagic stroke because bleeding, bleeding occurs inside the brain. And a lot of times the problem with hemorrhagic strokes is the area of bleeding that it occurs into and also swelling and um, volume. There's only so much space inside the skull, and anytime there's extra fluid in there, um, pressure starts to build up and things start to shift. And when, when, blood, when the uh, brain starts to get compressed, it doesn't function well and actually it can start to squeeze the brain out through the hole in the bottom of the brain and that causes sudden death. And so there's a lot of different complications that come from stroke, but the most common ones that, we're, that people recognize and that we need to be aware of are the simple symptoms that you'll see. So that's weakness in an arm or leg, drooping of the face, slurred speech, um, drooling, inability to swallow, um, sudden onset dizziness, um, that, which can be a very subtle symptom sometimes. A sudden on, that's the one I've seen missed the most is the dizziness presentation. And, uh, sometimes, and then visual disturbances. And much like a heart attack, anytime someone has sudden onset of these symptoms, number one, take an aspirin because if it's a blood clot, it can help with a blood clot. But number two, Call 911 because just like heart muscle, a stroke, tissue, blood cells, excuse me, brain cells start to die almost immediately. So within minutes of lack of blood flow, lack of oxygen, brain cells start to die on the order of about 2 million brain cells each minute that there's lack of blood flow. So they, they die very quickly and by large numbers. Now there's, you know, almost 100 billion um, cells in the brain, so you know, a couple million isn't a lot relative to the whole number. But having a couple million brain cells die every minute that there's lack of blood flow is significant, and that's why it's important. As soon as you notice, if you see a family member that has slurred speech or they're having some type of a neurologic deficit, and you're even suspicious of a stroke, aspirin 911 right away. Because if they get there soon enough, there are different medications that can be given that can break down clot and even procedures that can be done to go in and, and retrieve clot that can minimize the damage being done by the stroke. I'm just, I'm taking a breath. Um, 
because this is what happened to my mom on Christmas um, several years back. Um, oh, really? And I wish I'd have known a lot of the stuff that you're saying now. I mean, I thought I knew it, um, and I think we were more concerned about her heart than we were a stroke at the time because mm-hmm. she had always she had had like I said she had had a couple of heart attacks. She was on blood pressure medication, but um, what you're describing in terms of, let's say, for example, uh, when I first noticed that something was wrong, I was coming down the stairs and she was holding on to the stair rail and she was kind of trying to move and she really couldn't, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, listen to what he has to say, you know, take this to heart. If you have to listen to the show again, do it because you know sometimes you miss stuff and you need to listen again to pick up on certain things. So please be aware of that. So so now we you I'm, I'm glad you made all of that you know clear and straightened it out. And like I said, there's a lot of information that you've given. So it, it it's you know both well to, to kind of go back and, and listen again. Um, so what? things that we know what to kind of look out for, like you talked about the slurred speech or drooping and and that type of stuff. And a lot of of that stuff we've heard before. So it's good to kind of have that reminder. Uh, Let's talk about preventative measures more. Okay. Um, Well, let me mention one thing before I get directly into preventative measures. Um, Uh Uh-huh. We mentioned a little earlier mini strokes or TIAs. Yeah, it's very common that before someone has a full blown stroke, that they have TIAs. That's sort of a warning, and most of the the problem is most of the time, we ignore them because the symptoms are gone. So someone mm-hmm. will say, you know, I had slurred speech, or my mom had slurred speech, for about thirty minutes, and then it went away, and she felt fine, and we'll. Did you seek medical care afterwards? Well, no. I felt better, and, you know, things went back to normal, so we just decided to wait and see if it happened again. And a lot of times that's the warning. And so when somebody finally comes in with a stroke and you start asking questions, they start to tell you, you know, I had these symptoms before, but they went away. And that was the time if you address it at that time, then you may prevent the big event down the road that leads to the full-blown stroke and permanent disability or even death. So it's very important if you see any of those symptoms, even if they go away in 10, 15 minutes, then that was your chance, that was your warning to make sure or to address the issue and make sure you don't end up with a full-blown stroke. And so should now there, um, let's – oh, go ahead. Should there be – no, I'm, I'm asking because, you know, it, it's hard if you're a younger person trying to get an older person – to do something that's in their best interest and they think you don't know what they're talk you're talking about because you're the younger person. Um, should there be, I know we talk about living wills and trust and everything, but I mean, should there be more discussion and more, I guess, in terms of uh, something written down, if you see this happening to me, uh, then this is what I want you to do, you know, I mean, and, you know, maybe bring it out. Hey, you said if I saw this, this is what you want done, this is what we're going to do. I mean, it, something as simple as that, I don't know. It, it, should there be something where, uh, you know, family members sit down and talk about, you know, what the possibilities are and have a game plan? There, There should be, but the thing is a lot of times, when the rubber meets the road, 
attitudes change. And so, you know, you may tell someone that if you ever see me with any of these symptoms, um, I want to go to the emergency room. And then you come home one day and someone says, your speech is slurred. And you say, no, I'm fine. No, your speech is slurred. Let's go to the emergency room. No, I'm not going to the emergency room because I don't want to and I feel fine. There's nothing wrong. I don't think my speech is slurred. Um, and that's a lot of times how those things go down. You mentioned your mom. Um, I had an aunt, and um, she had she had uncontrolled high blood pressure. Um, she had medications, but she would only take them when she wanted to take them. And um, she had symptoms. I think it was going on for probably almost a whole day where she had um, drooping of the side of her face, slurred speech, inability to write. And I know she encountered at least two different family members that um, wanted to take her into the emergency room. She refused to go. And it was clear, it was clear that she was having a neurologic event, but she refused to go. And Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, from my standpoint, I felt like, well, why didn't you just call 911 anyway? Um, I don't know how she would have responded to that, but I do know, and, you know, my mom was, my mom saw her, and I, I said, what do you think was happening? What did you tell her? She said, I told her she was having a stroke, but she didn't want to do anything about it. She she left. She left. She, uh-huh. I, she, I had, she had my mom check her blood pressure, and her blood pressure was, you know, through the roof. And then she went home. She wouldn't. She wouldn't let her call nine one one. She wouldn't let her take her in either one. So, um, yeah, that can be a, a difficult situation. And um, you know, as long as coherent, even if you call nine one one, they won't take them in unless they agree to go. And uh, it, it it can be difficult because sometimes, particularly as they, people get older and you know, they get more stubborn and like you said they don't like to listen and they want to make their own decisions particularly when it comes into health care and it can, mm-hmm. it can be a difficult situation it can be but when it comes okay, to prevention we got about, about oh, how much we time? got about two minutes left so uh you can just take it wherever you want to go okay well let's quickly talk about prevention um the primary thing about prevention is um management of all, of all the risk factors we mentioned um one of the biggies when it comes to stroke more prevalent than and heart attack, um, blood pressure is very important. So it's one of the biggest risk factors when it comes to stroke is um, people with uncontrolled, untreated hypertension. So, um, but controlling risk factors, hypertension number one. The others include the ones we talked about before, diabetes and high cholesterol and obesity and all those things and smoking cessation. Those, those things are important to reducing your overall risk of cardiovascular disease and hypertension specifically for stroke. One other thing I want to mention real quick is there's another type of stroke that's caused by irregular heart rhythms called atrial fibrillation. And I actually had an aunt die from this one. An irregular heart rhythm that causes clots to develop in the heart, those clots break off from the heart and they go to the brain and they tend to be very big strokes because the clots tend to be very large. So they either cause large strokes or death. And so if you notice palpitations or sensation of irregular heart rhythms, that's something that you should also seek out um, care for because sometimes they come and go and all we can detect them is if you wear a heart monitor long enough to detect one of the episodes. Older atrial fibrillation becomes more prevalent in every population. And so palpitations, irregular heart rates, um, rapid heart rates are things that should be looked into because sometimes that can be atrial fibrillation that increases your risk of stroke by 8 to 10 times. Okay. 
Dr. Tillman, I wish we had more time. We, maybe we can pick this up next month because it's it's important. So thank yes, you for taking important. the time out to go to dwell on this. And like I said, please listen. Uh, you got the holidays coming up. I'm sure you got a minute where you can just sit down and, and listen. So and bring bring in that loved one that you might be um, concerned about. Thank you, Dr. Tillman. Talk to you and um, have a blessed Thanksgiving. Thank you. You do the same. Thank you. Thank you all for listening. God willing, talk to you all tomorrow. This has been G's Power Hour. I've never had it so good entertainment. Be well, be safe, be blessed, and please remember, all real power comes from God. Take care.